Welcome to Vets Beyond the Uniform, a weekly podcast that focuses on helping veterans successfully find and integrate into new careers after leaving the military service. Listen in as our host and guest experts share key insights on the successful programs helping veterans to enter and thrive in the civilian workforce. For more information after the program, please visit us at vetsbeyondtheuniform.com. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Vets Beyond the Uniform podcast. I am Mally Mancia, and joining me today from Vets Beyond the Uniform, I have Paul Savalani and Dave Beadle. On today's show, Paul and Dave will be talking with Mike Saformo, CEO of Operation Backbone. Welcome, everyone. Hello, Mally. How are you doing? Doing great. Glad to have you all. <laughs> Good to be, to be here. here. I appreciate Yes, it's great. Thank you. A very kind offer. I'm looking forward to it. Well, we're looking forward, Mike, to having you on the show. So what we typically do when we have a veteran uh, join us on the show, I want to get a little bit about your, your military background. Tell us some, some of the stuff that you did in the military. Um, and then kind of want to focus on how was your transition? How was it when you left the military and as you stepped over to, you know, what you're doing today, maybe you had a couple of stops before you got to Operation Backbone. So if you can share a little bit about that with our listeners, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, thanks. You guys do an outstanding job. So I went right out of high school. I was enlisted uh, right out of Buffalo, New York, and went to San Diego. Spent uh, 12, 13 years there. I did four active duty, uh, and I loved it. I was at 32nd Street on a fast or excuse me, a guided missile cruiser, which was the Horn CG-30, and then over to AS-41, which was McKee subtender. Worked on subs for a couple of years, and I thoroughly, I I love the military. It got me to where I am today, so I owe all my success and my great relationships to the to the Navy and to the military. So they were uh, absolutely wonderful to me. So I, I do miss it. In terms of the transition after, I did want to stay in. But I'll give you a great example uh, of how, in my opinion, the military drops the ball 100% on transition, and that was when the Army was asking me to come join. They had a program that I wanted to be part of in the reserves, and I was excited. But unfortunately, the transition from National Guard, uh, the schooling was, I think, six or seven months in a row, and I couldn't do it, so I had to leave, and it was very very upsetting, very disappointing to this day. I, I wish they would have been able to work something out. And I remember the colonel saying, Mike, this is just part of the transition from active to National Guard. And I said, you guys lose so many great people. He says, I agree. So my, my, trend, my, my military service was wonderful. The transition was horrible. And it was, it's, it's really disappointing to see great men and women with such talent and experience uh, move on because they just can't seem to get in line with what the military has to offer on the other side. So that's my transition experience. Yeah. So, so Mike, tell us a little bit about how you went from there to being the CEO of operation backbone. What's the story there and a little bit about what, what operation backbone does. What is your mission? So 10 years ago, I was working out and I hurt my neck and I used my own private insurance. I got a bill for $127, and 
and I asked the VA in Washington, D.C. to recoup the money, and they kind of laughed at me and said, it's not how you do it. They said, well, what are you supposed to do if you're all jacked up and you're in the middle of Idaho and you have no money and your wife's terrified? And What are you supposed to do? And they pretty much said, not what we can do. So I said, there has to be an easier way. So I said, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to change the way military is done around the world for the active duty and Department of Defense. And that's what we did. So we started this in Buffalo. Uh, UBNS, University of Buffalo Neurosurgery with the JI, Jacobs Vascular. And we got some incredible surgeons to come on board right away. And we just kind of went across the country and gobbled up the most talented and the most patriotic folks that we still, that we still get today that are surgeons, spine, brain, skull, ortho. And we put them all under one roof. What does that mean? It simply says that when you get hurt and you come to us, we're able to provide all the medical logistics, medical triage. And what do I mean by triage? It's all the paperwork. It's all the imaging. We're able to put everything together in one roof, under one roof, and provide not only a rating of, just say, for example, 45 to 80%, which simply means that if you're 80%, he or she has the ability to retain their MOS and stay in the military, or if it's below, depending on what level the military wants them, they can say 40% we're not interested and they get med boarded out. So we really provide a fascinating, unique, tip of the spear type of experience, but we're able to do it within hours in some cases, days, depending on logistics and the severity of the surgery and, and the outcomes and post-surgery and all that. But that's kind of what we do. We, we, we filter through thousands of veterans over the years, work on hundreds of active duty and looking forward to, to opening this now up more into the civilian sector with the latest and greatest innovations that the military is able to then take and use and hopefully use on our soldiers. Mike, that, that's really quite an incredible story. I, I, what struck me is that you said, okay, I hurt myself. This is the reaction I got from VA. So because of that, I decided to go change the world is, is really what I heard there. That, that must have been a huge lift. We all know, especially Paul and I being, prior service ourselves, how challenging and how difficult it can be to get a huge governmental organization like the VA to come around and, and adapt something new. What was, what was that like? That must have been a heck of a, heck of a task to get them to buy in. It's, you know, what you did in terms of getting the, the surgeons and everything, how did you get the buy-in on the government side? The VA never has bought in. The VA will never buy in. Active duty is different. So we have to fight and claw our way in the VA like everybody else does, unfortunately. So what we had to do is find a way to make it work, and we had to go directly to various VA departments and VA officials to kind of streamline our process, and, but it's, it's still a continuous fight. The VA is never or never has been designed for the type of surgery and processes that we do. It's not. It was designed for the, a housing for, for facility for a lot of World War II veterans that were Unfortunately, back then, there was no options. It was you lose your arm or leg or you're burned, and that's pretty much it. Put them in a wheelchair and, you know, by the door, face the water, and watch the sunset. It's the complexity of what we do is it's just the facility, the VA is not designed for that. And on top of that, the astronomical amount of numbers of veterans that are seeking type of care is is 
really astonishing. I mean, you're looking at TBI. I think the backlog was about 300,000, and that's even what we know of. And to take somebody – and I always give this analogy when people in the VA is this. I said, can you imagine if you, how difficult it is to take care of your mother who has Alzheimer's? And they say, oh, my God, it's 24-7. Well, can you imagine if you walked in your living room and you had 500 more people like that? Uh, now take that and multiply times millions and millions of people. The problem that we run into today with the current VA structure is the actual original triage diagnosis. If it's not done correctly – it all goes to hell. And what does that mean? You have to have people that are willing to take their time and be advocates and walk you through that whole process. That is a very arduous, long, never-ending process. And this is where the opioids all came in. And I feel for the VA, the officials on the inside, they don't have, in my opinion, the tools, but more importantly, they don't have the flexibility to go do what has to be done. There's rules and regulations and bureaucracy set in place, and I, I don't believe it will ever change. I think it's going to get worse over time, and that's why so many people used to come to us on the, on the, v, on the veteran side. So it's, it's not a rosy picture. It's a realistic picture, but I, we, we do our best to work with some many, many great men and women within the VA, but let's face it. The members of Congress, the White House, I, I have begged and pleaded for years, but uh, nothing has changed in, in my view, and that's the unfortunate part of, of being a veteran. Yeah, so when you get to that point with, with veterans that are looking for services to you, or do you then typically, are you working more with uh, private insurers, or, or how, are, how are the veterans getting that kind of assistance? Well... The short, the real short answer is we have to be very selective on the on the veterans that we work on, and that itself is very complex because, as you guys know, being in the military, you have to be able to take your resources, and you have to funnel them to individuals that you think are going to be the most receptive to that, and that's that to me has always been the key. It's always been the fork in the road, no matter what you do. If you don't spend all of your time and money up front evaluating do you go left or do you go right, it's a 50-50 chance. And if you're going in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter how much money you have or influence, you're never going to get to your right destination. So that's why I've always said you have to put the time and energy into the veterans up front on the vetting process. What do you do with the rest of them? I don't know. I don't have those answers. Personally, I don't think there is an answer. I just think the numbers are just too great. But uh, for us working with the VA on the side and members of Congress to get a lot of this insurance stuff squared away prior, um, we've, we've put a lot of that on the veteran himself or herself. And I've always said that if he or she is not able to do that process, then they're not for us only because mentally, if it's PTSD or a TBI, then they have to be, they have to be sent to a different location that have other expertise to help them with that. So that's kind of the self-vetting process that we've used. Hey, hey Mike, what you're doing is outstanding. I really got to tell you, as a service-disabled vet, um, just knowing, working with other service-disabled vets, I think this is a fantastic program. One question I had when you talked about locations, how do veterans around the country utilize your services? And what I mean by that, um, you know, we've got somebody up in Bismarck, North Dakota. We have somebody down in Austin, Texas. How do they work into the system since they're remote around the country? 
Well, in the what we we had access to tremendous amount of logistic help and support, whether it was helicopters, private jets, it didn't make a difference where he or she was. We were able to grab them. But more importantly, what we were able to do is find out logistically where he or she was. So you mentioned, let's say, for instance, North Dakota. And what we would do is we would have our team take a look at all the surgeons, and we would put everything in line at that local facility, not the VA, but the civilian facility the civilian medical facility. So we would kind of put everything in place. So that would lower the drive time and everything else. And then he or she would be able to walk in. Everything is set, done, prepped, ready to go. So we, instead of moving all the soldiers all over, we tried to utilize the space that they were around and familiar, but some, the severity of, and the length of what has to be done, regardless, it didn't matter if you lived across the street from a, a great hospital, sometimes timing, and the talent is not there at that particular time, so we'd have to transport he or she to another facility. Okay. So as you alluded to, you work, you try to work with the White House, you try to work with, you know, politicians and the VA. You've probably hit more obstacles than most organizations during this startup. You've probably hit, I mean, several walls. Can you tell us a little bit about those and how you've, you've gone around it? Um, part of that reason is because we just sort of admired about what you've done, but other organizations, VSOs and, and organizations that are supporting veterans are hitting similar walls. So maybe you can be an advisor to them as you, as you tell this portion of the story. Well, I wouldn't say they're walls. A wall would be something that you can work with or you can climb over, you can go around. I believe, and I've said this many times, these are not walls. These are intentional obstacles that have been placed in within the VA. And again, this is not the VA. This is Congress and our Senate. These are the individuals that write these rules and laws and regulations. They are the final gatekeeper. So that members within the VA that have these obstacles and landmines that have been intentionally placed within the VA, it's not their fault. They take the blame because obviously they happen to work there, and I, that's fine. I get that. But these these rules and regulations have hamstrung so many wonderful, great people over at the VA that many have just left. So they're not walls. They're not obstacles. These are, these are, in my opinion, intentional things to stop certain things from happening. And why, I don't know. But I will tell you this. Explain to me how a member of Congress and Senate can get on the House floor and vote to send someone like me and you guys over 7,000 miles to go kill a whole bunch of other folks. And then when we come home, we're too stupid to figure out what private doctor we want to go see. And we have to have authorization like a bunch of little babies and say, please, please, please. And then we have to beg and plead a bunch of politicians to get the care. So I am not a fan of the VA. I have never been a fan of the VA. And I don't mean it, I don't mean this in the mean spirited towards the individuals that work there. If you really want to take your frustration out, it's at the politicians, that that's the level. But I've said this before, Bush, Obama, Clinton, Reagan, Trump, they've all had a chance, in my opinion, to go do something great. And they've kind of punted the ball by saying, just give these guys a few more dollars and we'll just keep moving down the road. And I don't find that many people that would disagree with me. I think the care within the VA 
is absolutely outstanding on certain fronts, but on specific areas, skull base surgery and certain spine areas, I don't believe they have the talent and I don't believe that the time, they don't have the technology, but more importantly, they don't have what it takes to start a case from start to end. And that's because so many veterans are moving around from place to place. So the continuity of care has never really been the VA strong point. And everybody knows the frustration of when you start something and then six months later, they're gone. It's, it's upsetting. But the biggest issue, the biggest issue that you still have to look at with these VSOs and others is that the individual he or she themselves with PTSD or, or TBI, I use this as a mental side, is they're already hurting. So it's hard enough to try and navigate this when you're so-called normal, but if you're by yourself, it is thousand times difficult, almost nearly impossible to go do what we do on your own. You know, you hit a couple of spots, at least with me, um, going in and out of the VA, and I think you're right there with the VA. Um, the VA does a lot of great things, and, and the VA has taken care of me now for almost 28, 29 years since I left the military. But in that time, I have had no less than nine primary care physicians assigned to me. Mm-hmm. They, they mm-hmm. have a problem retaining their physicians and retaining quality. And I don't want to say the people that, they, that stay there are not qualified. They're highly qualified and highly trained. I imagine there's a lot of burnout. But for me as a veteran to go in, and, and I'm going to do it again here in a couple of weeks, I've got to go in now to a new primary care physician and walk over 28 years of treatment so they come up to speed with what needs to be done to take care of me. Um, and it's frustrating. And I can imagine with people that have spinal cord industries, in, uh, injuries or brain injuries, my God, can you imagine having to do that every time and every three years? You've got to sit down and talk to a new doctor, and they go, so what's wrong with you? Um, you know, you bring up the, a really interesting point in terms of, the, like, the continuity of care and why it's difficult to retain certain folks in the VA because it's not even so much of a funding issue, and, but it's more of a – I get so many great nurses and doctors that just become so infuriated and flustered because I'm like, well, why can't we do this? Like, I can't. I'll be breaking the law. I said, don't you have a hypocrite? He goes, I'm just telling you the, the, the yeah. laws in front of me. I can't do it. So you have a lot of great folks that leave. And I'll tell you right now, the VA has churned out hundreds of millions of dollars of free training, and they just let these guys and girls walk out the door because they're like, <laughs> I'd like to be able to do this and do that. A lot of the doctors I have that are part of my team are all prior military, and most of them got training at the VA, and they yeah. loved it. And they also wanted to try and stay and help. But it's difficult to take a surgeon that's making $4 million a year working on a professional basketball or hockey player, and then they go back to the VA, and this procedure should take 19 minutes. And they're like, you want me to do what? And the paperwork and this? And they're like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing it. Forget it. And that's the problem. If you compare the speed and the expertise versus what the VA has, again, it's not talent versus talent. It's just the amount of time and energy, and it just it doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. work. You know, and, and the, it's retention, and, and I'm going to get off this soapbox here in a second, but it's retention. I've got to tell you, one of the last VA doctors, the one just before the one I'm about to meet, loved this doctor. He was fantastic. He was young, energetic 
really worked with me and, you know, everything like that. I went back one day and I said, where is this doctor? And they go, he's transferred out. Where'd he go? Well, he went to civilian practice. Come to find out, as most people that are retired military, you have a couple of different medical plans. I have Scripps under TRICARE, and Mm -hmm. I have um, the VA as another one. And uh, he is now working in the office besides my Scripps primary care physician. He he was taken away and went over to Scripps. I thought that was really interesting that I still get to see him in a way, but now he's wearing a different, uh, different smock. Uh, the last thing I want to say is I've noticed this myself and, and being, you know, watching politics for many, many years, our benefits, and I don't know if this is a, is a good uh, perspective to have, but our benefits have changed as more politicians are not service-related politicians. They haven't served. So if you go back, you know, at the tail end of the Vietnam War or you go back to, you know, the end of World War II, a lot of those uh, those people went over and became are in, were in politics, and you saw some of the benefits come through with that. And I remember, you know, John McCain, whether you liked him or not, there was policies put in place to take care of veterans. I don't see that as often now. I don't see a recognition in the Senate or in Congress, uh, whatever the case may be, that there's a lot of veterans who have served in there that have any level of empathy towards taking care of military personnel. And I'll get off that soapbox, but that's just Paul's perspective. I, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I'll tell you, I have to serve this back to you on one side. It's we the people. And, and some of these companies have massive amounts of funding to lobby to get certain things done. The problem that you run in with the advocates on the, on the veteran side is most of us aren't, don't complain. Most of us aren't angry and upset and pissed off at the world and go scream and yell to get what we want. And unfortunately, on the political side, that's how, unfortunately, things get done. And if you're not going to be on the Hill 24-7 pushing to get this done, it's not going to happen. And you're right. It, uh, it's, it's, I think it started with Clinton, I think, when they started chopping away a little bit more and a little bit more. And, but there's some big organizations out there that try to do their damnedest. They really do. But it's it's politics and you got to be in their face nonstop to get it done and they will slowly erode more and more away and it's kind of where we are now yeah yeah so mike we we talked a lot about challenges and uh, certainly there's there's a lot that um we have to deal with there can you share with us though some of the things that you've done at operation backbone that are could be considered a success yeah, what 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 do you like to say? What have we done well? What has Operation Backbone done well? Yeah, what what are you guys doing? What would you, what would you consider successes on your part? Uh, that's a great question, and it's a very simple answer. I have shown there is a simpler and easier way to do what the VA has been trying to do for the last eighty years. That's it. It's it's simple. It's not that complex to do what we do. It's not. The difference is when you have direct access to make things happen, you can get it done. If you want, I'll put it to you like this. This is how simple what it is that we do. If you want to go online and order sneakers, you can type in sneakers and 6,000 pages will show up. You put your credit card in and that's it. That's the system that I created on working for soldiers and veterans and active duty. That's the success that we have. Some of the cases I have gotten calls from people at the VA that said, I have never seen a soldier. Go from point A to point B and be home by Thursday in my entire life. 
I mean, that's how we're able to expedite and how we built this out. So that's the success. That's our secret formula. And I've begged and I've pleaded and I've offered in every way that you could ever imagine to implement this within the VA and other organizations. And the answer has been a resounding no. So that's our success. That's why people come to us. They've been waiting 18 months. They've been waiting five years or whatever it is. And I'm like, well, give me half an hour real quick and let me see what I can do. That's how it works. We just put a robot on Mars. (laughs) But we can't get the VA to get out of their own way. Now, again, I keep reiterating this. This is not the, this is not, uh, whether you like the current director or you don't or who, it's not them. They have to go and do what the president of the United States says. It's that simple or you're out the door. And they are given a set of marching orders, and they're trying to follow as best as they can. But if they go outside the guidelines, they're gone. It is not the VA. It's Congress. They write the rules and regulations. And until they engage, actively, truly engage, and you want them to engage, then you cancel everybody's insurance, and everybody now has to go through the VA to change. But until then, going to be the same old same old just piled on with more veterans that are getting older now with cancer and alzheimer's and dementia and all these other things that are becoming down the pike from vietnam and you will see it'll quadruple and the answer is going to be we need more money right so that's somewhat of a you know a kind of a bleak picture but is there anything that we as a community certainly a community of veterans that are out here how can we how can we help make this change? I don't think there is a change. I don't think there's an answer to this. I think this this animal is so large and so big and so bureaucratic and so overweighted with I think we're looking at three hundred billion now with a B to fund the VA. I mean, this is not about this is I think their overhead and I don't quote me on this, but I think their overhead's like sixty percent, seventy percent. I mean, I wow. think John. I think Cleveland Clinic. I think their overhead's like five percent. Mm-hmm. I, I so it's it's just massive. But it's not, it's not a bleak. I, I don't think it's it's not a bleak picture. It's just unless you're going to go streamline it, unless you're going to have a Reagan go in there and fire everybody and go hire everybody, that's fine. But even that still has its challenges because all the doctors we have said that's great, but I'm not reporting to Congress. We're going to go do what we have to do and move on. Government-run healthcare system. So to answer your question, do I think it can be changed? No. Could it be altered and curved? Yes. Do you have the right people in my position, in my opinion, to do it right now? No. So as, a, as an alternative to that, then, how does – how, how do you take what you're doing at Operation Backbone and replicate that in a way in, a, in another lane? Well, I've been, this has been brought up many times, and they've asked me for my solution, and my solution to that was quite simple, was that you have to allow the private sector to be more involved and more engaged, and that that's, seems to be the the bull in the China shop, so to speak, because we can't do that. Mm-hmm. We can't allow more because everyone's terrified. And I say, uh, I, I, I mean, you're talking 21 mil, 
you, I would have to, I mean, it would take me 2,500 years to work on every veteran. I said, this is not about trying to privatize the military. It's about having more access where more public people can get involved, more of the private sector can get involved to help streamline the process, take some of the caseloads away, support what has to be done, and then when they're done with these guys, like we do, we give them back to the VA so they can continue the outstanding care on all the basic stuff they're going to need. The VA has the facilities, they got the manpower, and they certainly got the funding. They just don't have the direct leadership given to them from the president, all of them, all of them, to Congress. And until they get together in a room and say, this is the process, we're going to vote on it, it's, just, it's, it's not going to happen. And to create another alternative lane, you could, but at what point does that start to get gummed up when they say, all right, let's take 10 million folks and put them into this pipeline? You can't. You have to be, you got to be willing You've got to be willing to let go of the reins and allow these members, the, the, the veterans themselves, to go wherever they want, when they want, with their card, and it's paid. That's it. That is your answer. And it's not even a great answer because flooding the market now with 20-something million and cancer and all this, it will have its own challenges. But it does change the trajectory, and I don't ever see that ever happening whatsoever. Yeah. But that's really kind of a, a good segue for, for the next question that I have. So you take it back to the individual veteran and basically giving them that freedom and flexibility and choice. So right now, how does a veteran or active duty service member engage with you at Operation Backbone if they have an issue, either spinal cord or, or brain? How, how, do they, how do they find you? How do, how do they start that process with you? Well, the active duty is a completely different animal. And with active duty, I have to be kind of careful what I say. That it's a separate, it's a separate protocol with active duty. It's 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 different. The problem that we ran into is we have too many people. I had I I had we had thousands we had thousands of veterans from all over the world that were emailing us looking for help, and it was the same first question I would ask is why are you coming to us? And it was almost word for word because I was denied by the VA every time. Denied, denied, denied. I don't understand this process. I don't get it. I have begged and pleaded. I've taken these denial letters to members of Congress and the Senate, and most of them say there's nothing we can do, and that's just the way the system is, and the veteran is going to have to work the system better. That's the real rubber meets the road, and nobody in Congress or Senate that I know of is going to go out there in the rotunda and say, this is what has to happen because it, to them, it's just as veterans, we're nothing more than the simple, in my opinion, we're just nothing more than a simple commodity and we come and go. And that's that. that. That's all we are. We don't have money. We don't have power. And we don't have influence. You get those three things, you'll get change. But until then, we're just a bunch of guys sitting at the local brewery with our black jackets on with our patches and we smoke and complain and drink beer about how horrible life is instead of actually going there and getting involved i mean that's truly the real answer and nobody wants to hear it and 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 they know it that that's that's what it is yeah and that that, that's like how we really like to wrap these things up is what can we do as the community of veterans um to to assist you and what what you're doing, and it sounds like to me with what you just said, it's involvement. 
veterans need to be more involved, whether it's in their own health care or getting things to change uh, through uh, the lawmakers that we put in place and, and it, talking about them and their priorities. So is that, is that fair to say that that's where we can be a, be a part of the solution? To be, I don't think there's, I, I understand what you're saying. I wouldn't say the word solution. I, I think it's a curve. I think you can curve some of this stuff, but you need to get power players. You need to get power players to get involved, and you'll, get the, and you'll start to see the sea slowly change or the rudder of the ship slowly start to turn. But you need major players involved. You need CEO of Walmart. You need the CEO of Apple. You, you need these people. That, that's, that's, that's the people that you need. And I'll tell you something else. This is going to be a very interesting sea change coming up when more and more large companies like Walmart and others start getting involved. I think you may actually then see the VA turn around and beg for more soldiers and veterans to come to see their services. Because if you're in there and you can go buy your six-pack, your cigarettes, and everything else, and why I'm there, I'll go see the, the physician within Walmart that model will drastically change and shift everything. And I think Walmart is also looking at trying to do more for veterans. So that is your answer. You need power players to go in there and say, we don't need the VA, come to us. And you get that, you'll get everybody's attention. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I said, well, Mike, we're getting ready to wrap this up here. Is there anything else that you would like to leave with our audience in terms of information, uh, again, how they can – how they can find you, what we can do for you, and uh, we'll, we'll then wrap the we'll wrap this up for today. There's just one thing I want to say, and that's not even to the veterans; it's to all the spouses. It's to the spouses that the complexity of what your loved one is going through, and for the kids, it's uh, I, I I feel I do I feel for you guys I do I really do, and sometimes it becomes too much suicide is on the table all the time. And I'm not one of these guys that sit around and say, you know, helps around the corner. Cause mostly it's not, this is something that the wife or the spouse is going to have to man up and they're going to have to take charge of their own health care and their own family. And that's just the truth. So please, please don't sit around and hope somebody else is going to come take the wheel for you. You're, you're going to have to do it yourself. And maybe in that process, you can learn something and then hand that off to somebody else. So it's really to the spouses. I say God bless. Awesome, Mike. Thank you very much for that. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much, Mike, for all the wonderful information and for joining us as a guest on today's show. All links and contact information for Operation Backbone will be posted in the show description. Paul and Dave, thank you again for another wonderful show today. As always, please feel free to check us out at vetsbeyondtheuniform.com or we can be reached by email at training at vetsbeyondtheuniform.com. Thank you for tuning in and listening, and have a wonderful day, everyone. Mike, it was a pleasure. Thank you you for taking the time to be with us today. God bless you guys. Strong work. Thank you very much. You too. We'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.